Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital as once again we ensure we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Richard Ainsco. Richard is the CEO of Network Space, a commercial property development, investment and management company based in Merseyside. Richard, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the programme today. Hello, Scott. Thank you very much for having me on board. It's a real pleasure having you join us, Richard. Um, Now, the purpose of this discussion is to establish, first and foremost, your take on leadership. And I think it's fair to say that leadership is something that's really being put to the test at the moment, isn't it? With the emergence of COVID-19, no less, and the need for different leaders of businesses, organisations, institutions, communities and governments to feel their way through what ultimately is an unprecedented crisis for us all. Um, So if somebody working within your industry how has it been navigating the last few weeks and months because i can imagine it's thrown out one or two really big challenges for you absolutely i mean i think every business leader has had similar challenges in that um faced with an unknown um um, in terms of what covid19 um will you know the impact it will ultimately have um so very much a kind of I suppose my own personal view is kind of a bunker mentality. It's sort of, you know, we just need to um, get to grips with where we are, um, you know, what's important to our business. Um, obviously, that means sort of, you know, first and foremost, was sort of making sure uh, in the very short term that cash flow was positive. Um, so we set three very clear. Um, objectives to everybody in the business in terms of making sure that was the case. Um, the government w- came um, with uh, with a number of support packages. Obviously, we got to um, very quickly determine how those fit and the impact that they might have on not not just the rescue that has on the organisation, but more the long term impact that have on the organisation. And then, obviously, you know. Internationally, nationally, um, in the industry, uh, monitor closely how things are unfolding. So, um, very much, I think, sort of, not necessarily return to the coalface, but, you know, sort of sleeves rolled up and really getting stuck in uh, more so than, um, you know, might have ordinarily been the case. And in terms of having to adapt to this sort of new reality of things is there anything that you would say that this experience has taught you as the leader of a business yes i've I've always prided myself on trying to communicate with our staff and our you know the members of our organization just to be sort of open about what we're doing um and that just would have taken the form of a sort of an annual conference and a periodic note to everybody just to say this is what's going on um the business, our business is sort of multi-function, um, albeit within the same industry. So it is important, I believe, that they all, everybody knows what each other, each function is doing because we are quite often dealing with the same external people just in a different way. Um, going into a lockdown and, um, you know, we, we sort of, you know, we actually called, um, lockdown a few days before it happened we, we kind of set up for everybody to start working from home 
the week before lockdown was announced. So, um, yeah, the, the sort of the, the part where I had to raise my game was actually got to really improve that communication because all of a sudden, where people went to an office, they were able to just you know interact, collaborate, etc. All of a sudden, everyone's been sent out to their own homes. You know, I'm pleased to say that our sort of systems and technology and infrastructure supported that. However, all of a sudden, it's a very different working environment for people. So, and it's important that they hear from me um, that you know what we are doing about this. Um, so, I say communication, um, and I've certainly realised that you know it, even from a platform of decent communication, um, it actually you know there, there was there's still more that needed to be done. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I probably haven't done enough. And I can imagine that being the leader at the top of the uh, the business, it's only natural for employees to sort of look to you as the person to provide that reassurance when it's needed amid all of the uncertainty and all of the uh, the worry. But when you are at the top of the tree in a business and there's nobody really above you to refer to, it can be a little bit of a lonely place, can't it? So where is it that you tend to sort of draw your inspiration and your own sort of reassurances from that you are sort of on the right pathway? That's a good question. I mean, I've, I, my, the, my business is a family business, so I actually have bought it from my uh, my my my, well, my father principally and, and and some of my siblings. So um, I'm not without sort of a consultation group in, in that regard. Albeit, um, you know, they're very much disconnected from it now, and no involvement at all. So um, don't have an understanding of the finer parts, but certainly my my father's always there to give some sage advice um i do sort of make a lot of effort to stay in touch with other sme business owners um and it doesn't really matter what sector they're in you know quite often the challenges are the same particularly at times like this and you know discuss um ideas and experiences with them and how we've gone about things um fortunately a few of our professional advisors um you know, set up kind of round, you know, digital virtual roundtables with other business leaders. So they were quite useful because um, not only from a networking point of view, but also um, just being able to hear someone else's experiences, share your own, uh, discuss um, sort of each other's outlook. Um, that's true, very useful as well. So I've been fortunate to, um, to have a peer group um, that I've been able to, to sort of listen to. It is important to remember that even as a business leader, you're not alone and it is vital to, of course, communicate with other business leaders to network and understand that you're not alone, Wolf, and you can, of course, learn from other people because we are never finished articles, even in leadership positions. We are in a constant process of learning and of uh, development. And that's been proven by the COVID-19 pandemic in the sense that it's forced the hand of businesses and those in charge of them to really adapt and be flexible during this time. And they'll have taken away a great deal of sort of positivity from as a learning curve from this quite difficult and quite tragic time, especially for those businesses that do make it through. Um, when we think about what that sort of new normal is going to look like, though, in a bit more detail, uh, Richard, do you think that there will be some features of this lockdown period that will end up becoming permanent parts of the way that we do business in the UK? Uh, I Almost certainly. If I could just sort of 
fixed on your point about learning. Um, mm. From a personal point of view, I'm uh, a very uh, subscribed to continuous learning. In fact, I'm sort of continue to uh, study uh, business and, and governance and, 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 um, and directorship uh, even now. Um, and that's uh, um, like a culture I'm trying to pervade into the business as well in the sense that we are a learning organisation. Um, summarise really and sort of trying to always find a better way of doing things um, so um, and you know, I, you know encourage our staff to um, and we fund staff training um, and their development so actually what's been quite useful in you know it, obviously you've got to have a mind you've got to have a mindset to continue to learn which is you know I, I certainly have and i you know, try to make sure that everybody does in the organisation. Um, but where, you know, um, inevitably, what we, we actually the board and you know, our, our board took a decision um, quite early doors that we would seek not to take any government support at all. So we haven't taken any of the loans and we haven't followed any staff. Um, we were fortunate to be in the industry and also in a you know, positioning our workload that enabled that. Inevitably, we would have had some slack um, in the workforce because, you know, some of our team members might not be quite as busy as they normally were. Um, the message that we gave to them was, well, if that's the case, um, there's always an opportunity to do some, as I call it, digital housekeeping and also take some training. Um, particularly, you know, it's the systems that we've invested in that have given us the ability to, like, you know, transition to working from home as well as we have. So, spend some time getting to know those systems better. Um, so, actually, being prepared to learn our way um, through the lockdown has been very useful as well. Um, so, to answer your question, um, the what have we, you know, what 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 have we, uh, what might what have we found through this experience that might well end up becoming the new normal? Almost certainly, we we have clients based in London um, every month. <clears throat> Quite a few of our team will go down to London for uh, a day to to uh, to give sort of client update reports. Um, obviously, they've been undertaken on. On a, on a virtual basis quite successfully um, it turns out and instead of taking a day out of the diary it takes an hour and maybe a little bit more so um, certainly if it comes to internal meetings or account management meetings um, I'd say there's a very strong case to conduct those um, through through video conferencing uh, we've got uh, office in Yorkshire and an office in Northwest and Again, we've got people travelling over the M62 regularly to come for meetings. That shouldn't really be necessary unless it's actually visiting sites. Because our industry is, is property, so we do have to always visit sites. We can't do that virtually. Um, so, so I expect we will certainly get into the habit of conducting a number of meetings uh, on screen. Um, and for that matter, we're not, we haven't got any concrete plans in place to work from home. We found that, as I mentioned earlier, we have this infrastructure to allow us to, um, we've invested in infrastructure that allows us to work from home quite effectively. 
there's definitely value in being in an office together because of the sort of the social interaction and the collaboration. Um, just the sort of general vibe of being in the workplace. But my expectation is that we'll end up with a sort of a hybrid scenario where people spend some days of the week working from home and some days of the week working in the office. And obviously we'll seek to, um, you know, work around childcare requirements that they may have throughout the year to give them a bit of flexibility uh, on that basis. So I think, um, you know, it, it has been beneficial because it's proven to us that you can work this way whereas it wasn't something that you know we certainly weren't prepared to test or weren't in a position ready to test shall we say uh, without it and considering the experience that you've had not just of course in business prior to the uh, the pandemic but also of managing uh, this crisis uh, richard if you were to give some advice yourself to somebody who was maybe starting out in business and about to sort of get into a leadership role within a company for the first time what sort of advice would you give them based on the experience that you've had know your business um you know particularly i mean I'm, unfortunately we've got less than 40 people um, I've worked a large portion of my career in the business right the way through it in different um, parts of it. So I know it very well, obviously being a fun business and, and, and having been there a long time and sort of worked my way through the ranks. But um, if you're able to, uh, just understand your business, know it. And, and what, by that I mean, um, it's, if you, if you, if you got 40 people doing different jobs, understand what the job that they do, which is sounds quite obvious, but the bigger an organization becomes and the larger the head counts, then it becomes more difficult for the person at the top to have a really deep-seated understanding of what a, uh, a certain individual is doing. Um, so, um, you know, as, a, as an SME owner managing, um, as an owner and manager of a business, um, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to know my business, um, and you know, continue to make sure I do understand what it is people are doing. And that's not to be nosy and to be bossy and to tell them that they should be doing it a different way. It's 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 really more to um, make sure that at times like this, you you just have a very in depth understanding of what's going on. Um, and you know, inevitably, it will need your direction sometimes because um, you know, mistakes will be made. And um, you know, I want to be able to encourage people to uh, to find a better way of doing things. Um, and that's not by telling them necessarily how to do it. It's a case of encouraging them to find that way themselves. And finally, Richard, just before we do wrap things up on the uh, the program, as we embrace the challenges of the the uh, the new normal and what that might bring with it, what's next for yourself and for Network Space over the next twelve to eighteen months, and what do you really hope to achieve over that period? Um, it, the, the, the we're in you know, we're, we're in the uh, industrial uh, property sector, so you know, and that includes warehousing and to a certain extent, sort of logistics. Um, which is well widely known to have been uh, of the real estate sector as one of the more resilient due to the fact that obviously it's the infrastructure that supports e-commerce which has boomed during this time. Um, so we expect, or I expect, that um, 
investment uh, and development activity and um, that might have previously been focusing on offices or uh, retail will seeking to get into our industry. So that's great. Um, uh, it will mean that it become more of a competitive environment. So we just have to work. Um, we're going to have to work a bit harder um, and be a bit more innovative to find the value that we are um, accustomed to finding. Um, we are, um, you know, you know we, we are well capitalised. You know, it, it's been, you know, we're very conservatively capitalised as a business and it's always been very important to me that we are able to weather a storm. And like I said before, you know, delighted that we haven't had to take any um, government support and we've, we have a balance sheet and a, and a cash flow that's able to keep our business going and even to a certain extent growing. So um, it is inevitable, I think, that we are going to have um, uh, a difficult next few years um, economically uh, as a consequence of all this. So in the first instance, it's making sure that our balance sheet, our cash flow, remain um, robust to keep the business um, in good shape. Um, I mean, I'm pleased that we're actually planning to do some recruitment at the minute. So we are, you know, with a with an expectation that we've got some great opportunity. Um, but for the same measure, we know it's going to be competitive uh, in our sector in particular. Um, and inevitably, we are going to have to deal with a, um, a, a you know general sort of economic downturn. Um, so it's going to be um, going to be it's going to be challenging. Um, but um, uh, I've, I've been the board and I. I say I, but it is. It's, I'm, you know, I'm very much uh, a member of a, a board that runs our network space, and um, you know, we all believe that we will have you know, keep keep a, a healthy balance sheet. Try and maybe keep some cash available for new opportunities that may arise. Um, uh, don't overstretch ourselves. Um, we've been in business now for over 35 years and intend to be in business for much longer yet. And as a family business, we have a very long-term outlook. We don't need to meet any, um, you know, we don't have to meet the dividend requirement every year. We can retain earnings and invest in future growth. And I suppose that's just a fortunate uh, position that we find ourselves in due to circumstances. Certainly going to be interesting uh, to see how things uh, pan out over the course of the uh, the next uh, few months for sure as we adjust to what the new normal is going to bring, Richard. And given how informative it's been having you join us on the uh, the programme to discuss some of these issues with us today, I actually think it would be wonderful to catch up and have you back on the programme with us in future over the course of the next year just to actually gauge how things are getting on. I'd be delighted to, Scott. Absolutely, thank you. It would be a really insightful experience, not just, of course, for myself as host, but also the listeners tuning into uh, to this as well. Um, Richard, I have to say, it's been a real pleasure having you join us on the uh, the programme today, and I've thoroughly enjoyed our discussion. And until, of course, we do speak again in future, which I'm sure we will, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on, because we're certainly not out of the woods with the COVID-19 pandemic yet. There's still that variable of a second spike, and we, of course, don't know what that's going to bring. So hopefully everything will be fine and we'll be on an upward trajectory sooner rather than later. Thank you, Scott. And, and the same to you. Uh, you know, stay safe and uh, take care. And thank you for your time. It's been, it's been a delight to be here. 
And to those tuning into this, do continue to be sensible, even though lockdown restrictions are being lifted. Do stay home where you can, look after yourselves, because it really does make a difference in saving lives. Um, I was speaking today to Richard Ainsker, CEO of Network Space. And coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field. She heads up the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, the trade body for firms who provide such services for both individuals and families. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Liz. All of that, of course, is coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, maybe Liz, quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are 
a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the, the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or, you know, that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in 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 our yes. um, in our country. Without a doubt, Liz, because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system. But ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Elizabeth. Yes, I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um now, looking at a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a a large majority with the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, 
uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, uh, Liz. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think. I think that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst, you know, 31st of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period. Um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know. The, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is smarter mm-hmm. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro- in Europe, England, or U- the UK rather, and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of in- intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation, and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same two, piece, you know. Famous <laughs> fellows, aren't they? Indeed, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. Absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yeah. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I th- I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate. Um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision 
to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat yes. funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is, has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might not want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I, were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now, I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at, um, at the operations of PIMFR again, it's what PIMFR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i, I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually mm. but it's certainly something that that 
we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying uh, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing, that you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just. Um, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things, and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.